Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here, and I'm glad that you were with us on this third and middle part of our series uh, forward. Have any of you ever been tricked? When Leanne and I were living in Venezuela, uh, we hadn't been there too terribly long, and I hear a rapping at the gate, and I look outside, and there's three teenagers. Now, my Spanish was horrible. You would think my four years of Spanish in high school would have been enough, but all I learned to say was, Hola, mi nombre es Nigo Antoya, matase mi padre, preparate a morir. That's four years of Spanish right there. And so I hesitantly went out to the gate to try to engage these guys in conversation, and they very patiently explained that one of their friends was having an emergency surgery on Friday, and so they were trying to go around the neighborhood and collect money. Now, normally on these sort of things, I would want to consult with my wife, but if I'm remembering correctly, she wasn't there. So I had to kind of make a spur-of-the-moment decision, and I wanted to be a compassionate person, so I ended up giving them money for their, their friend. Well, a couple weeks later, I saw these same three teenagers, and they were engaged in conversation with one of the staff members at the missionary school that Leanne and I were working at there in Venezuela. And so I wanted to find out how their friend was doing, how the surgery went, did they raise enough money? And so I, I walked up to join the conversation, and the other staff member, he was actually fluent in Spanish. So I was thinking, like, he could, you know, really ask them the questions, and then I could really learn the truth. But as I turned to ask him, say, hey, find out how their friend is, how, how the surgery went. He looks at me and says, um, Aaron, there, there is no friend. It's like, wait, yeah, they had a friend who was having surgery. And he says, no, Aaron, they've been going around for weeks telling people this exact same story, that they're having a friend who has having an emergency surgery on Friday and they're asking for money. They've been hitting up all of the Americans and I'm telling them right now they need to leave because they're scamming everyone. In other words, I had been tricked. Maybe you've been scammed out of some money. Maybe you've been tricked to download a virus to your computer. Maybe you had someone that you thought was going to be a good friend and, and then you actually got played or betrayed. Or maybe you bought into the idea that if you just buy this product, it will radical, radically change your life. But when you got it, you realized you had just lost your money. It feels icky to be tricked, doesn't it? That's why I, I find no joy today in telling you that our American culture has been tricking you. That there is a trick that our culture tries to pull past us. And it's this. That your happiness will be found in the American dream. And if you can achieve the American dream, everything will be great. That, and so really, the mantra is money equals happiness. And, and there's all sorts of things that, that try to feed us this trick. All you have to do today is turn on the TV, watch the commercials, and they're going to convince you that if you just have this product, you'll be happier. But to buy that product, you need more money. You just go and watch your entertainment or, or read through your social media feeds, and you'll see this mantra that if you have more money, you will be happier. And our celebrities in our culture, they are proof that this mantra is true, that money equals happiness. I uh, found an article this week uh, by a guy named Grant. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. Sabatier, I think. Uh, Grant has a little bit of fame because as a millennial in his 20s, he started with $2.26 in his bank account. And in five years' time, he got it to over a million dollars. He now runs a website called Millennial Money. And the article I read, he, he's kind of made it this little mission to go around asking people, how much money 
is enough money. And ask, after asking dozens and hundreds of people, he's discovered three common answers. The third most common answer to how much money is enough is $1 million. That's what they think is enough. But some people, no. The second most popular answer is more. But that's not even the most popular answer. The most popular answer is there's never enough. Uh, several years ago, I heard Pastor Andy Stanley share the results of a survey where people were asked what their annual income was and how much income it would take for them to be happy, for them to be comfortable, you know, to have a little bit of financial breathing room. And what was interesting was out of the survey, 35,000, the people who made about 35,000 a year, they said if they just made 50, that, that would give them some breathing room, things would be a little easier, more, more comfortable, they would be happier. But the people who made 50,000 said they needed to make 75 in order to find that kind of financial freedom. But the people who made 75 said it would actually take about 100. And the people who said they made 100, it would take 150. And those who made 150, 200, and I mean, on and on and on it went. I think you needed to make like half a million dollars before you were like, oh, you know what, I, I think I'm actually okay. We live with this idea, this mantra, that if I just had a little bit more, I would be happier. Because if I had more money, I could have just a little nicer house. I could have just a little better car. I, I could take a little nicer vacation. I'd have a little nicer clothes. Life would just be a little more comfortable. We've all fallen for the trick. We think that money equals happiness. And that's why I said, I do not have any joy in telling you today. It's a trick. It's a lie. Money will not bring you happiness. In fact, uh, Ben Franklin, who's on the $100 bill, uh, said this. Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The, man, the more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Before America could start preaching this American dream mantra, good old Ben knew. It's a lie. It's a trick. And if you end up buying the mantra, you just end up with a bag full of nothing. But there is a connection between money and happiness. But, but it's not about the getting. The joy is actually found in the giving. What we're going to discover today is that the early church had a lot of joy. And a lot of that joy came out of these generous hearts that they lived with. And what we're going to discover today is that together as a church, they were giving selflessly, they were giving sacrificially, they were giving intentionally, they were giving, and it brought them joy. And because I want that kind of joy for you, I'm going to invite you today into that kind of generosity. So yes, we're talking about money today. If you're a first-time guest with us, uh, we don't talk about this very much. In fact, I grew up in churches that talked about it too much. And so I have kind of shied away from it because I realize for many people, it's a very sensitive subject. And yet, if we as Riverwood are going to be the church God calls us to, it means we have to move forward together, but we have to move forward with generosity. Because I believe the type of church we want to be is going to require this of us. So let's open up to Acts chapter 2, and let's take a look at the early church. 
If you do not, ha- do not have a Bible today, don't worry about it. I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen, so you're going to be able to read along with us. But if you don't have a Bible, I strongly encourage you, get one and bring it every single Sunday when you come to Riverwood. If you need a Bible, we have uh, some on the back uh, table, on the Give and Grow table. Please just take one and make that our gift to you. And that way you can use it on Sundays as well as every day of the week. Also, if you have a Bible already on your smartphone, feel free to pull that out and use that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on your phone, please download one to it. And that way, wherever you go with your phone, you always have a Bible available, including when you're with us on Sundays. Uh, we are reading Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 every single week of this series as we study the early church. So we're going to read that. But before we do, let me pray. So Heavenly Father, uh, we are come, getting ready to come to your timeless word. Uh, Lord, you wrote this so long ago through these human authors, and yet it still continues to speak to us today. So we ask that you speak. You speak loud and clear. And Lord, as we approach this sensitive topic of money, I pray that your grace would oversee it all, that we would hear what you have to say. This wouldn't be about what I or what a church wants, but it's really about what you want for us. So God, would you speak loud and clear this morning? In Jesus' name, I pray for this. Amen. All right, Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Two weeks ago, as we began this series, we looked primarily at verses 42 and 43. And what we saw was that the church moved forward in faith. And and the way they did that was by looking at the word of God and the work of God. But then last week we saw that it wasn't just them as a bunch of individuals, that they moved forward together, that they, that they really joined together. So we kind of started with verse 44, but we saw how that theme ran through all six verses. And so that means this week we kind of come to verse 45. And you see the, the, the main theme here in verse 45 is generosity. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, everything that I'm going to teach today, I feel can come from that verse right there. But what I want to do today is I want you to see that this isn't just isolated to one verse. That this idea here in verse 45 actually gets expanded over in chapter 4. And I want you to see these same exact principles from there. So if you, if you would, turn over to chapter 4, head to verse 32, and we're going to study from verses 32 through 35 today. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So what we're going to do today is we're going to see three different principles, three ways that the church gave here in Acts 4, and then we're going to go back to Acts 2, and we're going to see two more ways. All right. So the first way I want you to see is that they gave uh, selflessly. 
that they gave selflessly. So if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, this is your chance to shine. Uh, you can fill that out in the uh, notes. Um, notice verse 32. Uh, it says there that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In other words, it's not my house. It's our house. It, it's not my phone. It, it, it's kind of for all of us to use. This is so un-American. Like we, we live with this mentality of, no, that's my house. That's my car. That, that's my phone. And, and yes, some of us, we, we're generous people and we will give. But when we like give someone our phone, it's usually because we bought ourselves a new one. Or, or, hey, yeah, you, you bet. I've got this couch. I'd love to let you have it because I bought myself a new one. We tend to just think in terms of my, we think possessively, but they weren't thinking possessively. They were thinking corporately. And so anything that they had, they, they kind of considered it just part of the churches. Makes you wonder, how in the world did they come to a place like that to think so differently than, than we do? If you were with us last summer, uh, if you remember last year in 2019, uh, four different times through the year, we did a series called The Everyday Gospel, and we did different editions. In August, we did The Money Edition. And in week one of that edition, we looked at the theological concept of stewardship. It's this idea that everything actually belongs to God. So we don't actually possess anything. It's all his. So we're not owners of it. We're actually stewards of it. And so everything we have, our relationships, our, our body, our jobs, our income, it all belongs to God. And we seek to take care of it and use it in a way that will give glory to him. I think that's part of what the church in, in Acts 2 and 4 understood. That actually all of these things weren't theirs. It was actually God's. And if God was willing to share and give it to them, then man, they would be willing to share and give it to others. And by doing so, they made sure that no one had a need. They were taking care of each other because they gave so selflessly. The second way I say, see them giving is sacrificially. Look down at verse 34. There is not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. I found out this week that back in 2015, I tried to find updated stats, but I failed at it. So we'll go with uh, five years ago. In 2015, there were 48,500 storage unit facilities. Not storage units, storage unit facilities. 48,500 of them. That is more than the number of McDonald's and Subways combined. In fact, there is so much storage unit space in America that there is 21 square feet per person. Now, my family does not have a storage unit, right? There's five of us living in my house. So that means there's someone out there who has to take our 21 square feet. There are so much. Oh, and get this. I, I kind of assumed that the people who didn't have a garage or didn't have a basement, those are the ones who had storage units. No, 65% of people who have a garage have a storage unit. Americans have a lot of stuff. The early church was not sticking their stuff in storage to use at a later date and let it just sit there. If they had something extra, they gave it. They sold it. They gave it away because someone else might need it and could use it. They were willing to sacrifice. 
when uh, Leanne and I lived in uh, Colorado, uh, I was the worship director at a small little church plant, and I was only getting paid a part-time salary. So we were struggling to make ends meet. I've, I've talked about that time in our life before. Uh, there were some months where we struggled to uh, pay our uh, mortgage. Uh, sometimes we had to go to a food bank. I think that's part of why I'm passionate about us serving every month at the Waverly Food Pantry. It, it, was, it was a really difficult time. So when our pastor at our church decided that it wasn't cool for us to be meeting in a school on Sundays, but we needed our own building, he started a capital campaign. Leanne and I already felt like we were giving as much as we possibly could. So we're just sitting there like, what are we going to be able to contribute? Like, we've, we've got nothing. Like, we've decimated our savings to help this church. We're we not going to be able to participate. Wouldn't you know, I read Acts 4, and a question hits me. What do we have that's just sitting around? Well, I was working as the music director for the church, and the church already had a keyboard. And that's what I used on Sundays. That's what I used during the week. And my personal keyboard, which I absolutely loved, just did nothing but sit in a case. And so I pulled it out. I took some pictures of it. And I uploaded the photos to eBay. And we sold it. And we gave the money to the church. We have so much stuff as Americans. Even the poorest of us often have something extra just sitting there that we're not using, we don't need. And we could actually use it to give to someone else to help them. Yes, it's a sacrifice. But if we're going to live in generosity like the early church, we've got to give selflessly and sacrificially. The third way I see the church giving is intentionally. They were giving intentionally. Notice verse 35. They, they were selling these land, the, 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 the plots of land and their houses, and they were bringing the proceeds. And it says that they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, by bringing it to the apostles and laying it at their feet, they're not worshiping the apostles. What they're doing is they're, they're saying, hey, there are needs within our church, so we intentionally give this to you guys because we believe that you're going to be able to know what those are and you can make sure that this gets distributed fairly. It, it wasn't just haphazard like, oh, you know what? I'm going to sell this, hang on to the money, and as I kind of hear about needs, I might give a little bit here and there. All right? No, we're going to give this and give a sacrificial, selfless amount so that you guys can use it intentionally to help the others in our church. That's what I see here in Acts 4. They were giving selflessly, they were giving sacrificially, and intentionally. Man, that just rubs right against our Americanness. It, it, it just, it, it's hard because when you give like that, it feels like losing. But that's the trick. That's the lie. Because we think that if I give this away, I won't have, and so therefore I have less and I won't be as happy. Instead, we need to look and realize the church, when they gave in these manners, it actually brought them joy. So if you would, flip back to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice the joy. We looked at verse 45 just a little bit ago. So go to verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, if you want, you could try to push back on me and say, yeah, but Aaron, it says that they received. You're, you're right. They received their food. But how did they receive it? With glad and generous hearts. When, when someone receives something, you don't call them generous. No, you only call someone generous when they give. So in other words, people were coming in 
And they're giving food. They're sharing this with one another. I mean, it was like a potluck every single night. And they were having joy in this. But think about it. They're selling off land. They're selling off homes. And this isn't irresponsible giving. They weren't selling off their home and making themselves homeless. But they're saying, I've got all this extra. Let's sell it off and help those in need. And it brought them joy. They had generous hearts. And notice what it does. As they have this joy, giving selflessly, sacrificially, and intentionally, it helps them to make an impact. And that's the fifth point. They gave impactfully. They gave impactfully. Now, if you know your English well, you're going to know that impactfully is not a word. My computer kept complaining. It kept wanting to change it into impact and fully, or it would try to drop out the L-Y and make it impactful. But so that I can keep the adverb scheme going, we're going to just make up a word. We're going to call it impactfully because that's how they gave. That's what was happening. Notice what happens in verse 47. As they're enjoying this food with glad and generous hearts, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This past Christmas, uh, we as a church, uh, we took a collection. We call it our impact gift, and we, we gave it to Northeast Iowa Food Bank. Other churches do something very similar. And I heard about a church about the same time we did our impact gift that they gave a gift that eliminated $4 million of medical debt. Now, you'll notice in the uh, picture up there that the screen, the uh, uh, TV screen says more than $2 million. That was like phase one. People were so moved at hearing what the church was doing that they continued to give, and they were able to eliminate $4 million. Now, I assumed that this must be some huge megachurch to be able to have that kind of money. And sure enough, it was. It's a church of about 10,000 people. But then I started learning more about it. And it turns out that they partnered up with a group called RIP Medical Debt. What RIP Medical Debt does is they go out and they find outstanding debt that, that was mostly from medical bills. And, and it's debt that has not been collected. And so it ends up being sold at pennies on the dollar. The, the, the hospitals and that, the insurance companies, they just want to get some sort of money out of it. And so they will sell it off really, really cheap. And then these collection agencies can continue to try to get it. And then that's how they make their money. But RIP Medical Debt's approaching it differently. They're buying up this medical debt, pennies on the dollar, and then letting people, individuals, organizations, churches, donate to help relieve people of that debt. Because usually the people who aren't being able to pay these off are people who don't have insurance, they're unemployed, they're in poverty, and they're never going to be able to get out from under this cloud of debt. And so this church, by eliminating $4 million, all they did was give $30,000. $30,000. And it eliminated $4 million. It was such a big deal, though, it made headlines. Like, I saw it all over my Twitter feed. I, I, I heard about it in a podcast. I, I saw it on my Apple News app. Like, people were talking about this. Because when people will give selflessly, sacrificially, and intentionally, and they do it with joy, it makes an impact. It makes news. That's what the early church was doing. As they gave in these ways, they were making an impact on the, 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 their community, their neighbors. That's why it says that they found favor with all the people. You've got to think about the movement at this time. All right? This is a bunch of Jews 
who are claiming that the Jewish Messiah has already come. He was killed by the Romans on a cross, but he rose again from the dead. It sounds absolutely crazy. Most Jewish people believe that this Messiah would be this conquering soldier who was going to come in and throw off the tyranny of Rome. Instead, they're still under the Roman Empire. So you would think that this little faction of Christians would be seen as a cult, as a bunch of weirdos. But no, the way they're living with this generosity, the, the community took notice. And it says that they had favor with all the people. So much so that people wanted to become part of it. Notice the very last phrase. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. People were seeing this type of generosity and they're going, I want to be a part of that. And now they're open to hearing about this amazing story of Jesus dying on a cross, rising from the dead and doing it for us to forgive us our sins. And people were now listening. They're far more open simply because of the generosity. So if we are going to be this type of church, we have to move forward by giving selflessly, sacrificially, intentionally. We do it with joy, knowing that we will make an impact on our community. But how do we do this? Well, God has actually given us a wonderful opportunity. For those of you who are our first-time guests, I'm glad you're here. But I'm going to talk to the Riverwood family Please listen in. Uh, none of this is secret knowledge, but I just want you to know that my next remarks are directed at the church family, not to you. Last Sunday, our Riverwood partners voted unanimously to take on a three-year lease of the old network control building. It's located uh, past the Waverly uh, sale barn, uh, right next to the recycling center, but before you take the next curve out towards the airport. We'd actually looked at this building to purchase back in September. We felt that we might be able to afford to buy it, but we wouldn't be able to then remodel it. It just felt like it would put too much financial stress upon our church family. So we said no. We've said no to a number of different properties, whether because of size or, or condition or, or usually because of price. But then someone else came in, bought it, and found out about us and approached us and said, hey, would you have interest in leasing? And they were willing to work with us. Rather than asking for a normal five-year term, they said, would you do it in three years? Rather than asking the normal, normal amount, which would be probably more like 3000 they said, we'll lease it to you at 2300 And the more we started talking as elders, we realized this is a really good opportunity. But we didn't want to make this decision in isolation. So that's where we brought it to you and to our Riverwood partners. And you guys overwhelmingly said yes. But as we made clear in the Q&A uh, discussion two weeks ago, we can't do this without all of us together explain, expressing this kind of generosity. To do this, it's going to take all of us to be selfless, to sacrifice, to give intentionally to this project. And we need to do it joyfully, knowing that by doing this, we will be able to make an impact upon our community. So here's what the elders are asking all of us to do. We're asking for all of us to give a one-time gift to help offset the remodeling costs, and then to increase our weekly giving to offset the increase in our um, uh, lease, uh, the, the increased cost on the lease. So let's talk about these separately. Let's first talk about the one-time gift. Uh, Tim Corcoran, uh, many of you know, he's, he's part of our elder team. Uh, he works for uh, Steggy Construction, so this is kind of his realm, his world. And Tim has thought through very extensively and thinks that if we do this as bare bones as we can, but still making it nice, we don't want people walking in and going, ooh, we want them to walk in and go, ooh. Uh, so, so we're working towards that. But 
trying to keep this as low a cost as possible. Because again, we've talked about this since day one. We don't want our money going into buildings. We want it going into people. And so trying to do this as, as inexpensively as we can, we think it's going to take us seventy dollars to $75,000. Now, we have $80,000 sitting in the bank. But it did not seem wise for us to just take that $80,000 and just cover all that remodel cost. Because then that gives us nothing there as that kind of buffer. If we get rid of that, we run the risk of not being able to follow up on our uh, agreement to contribute towards Patrick Gray, our church planner up in the Twin Cities. You know, there's, you know, we're, we're part of the Waverly VBS. We want to be able to continue to contribute into that. We, we're part of the Waverly Benevolence Fund. We want to continue to contribute into that. And so it just did not seem wise to, to use all of that up on this building. But also, we've earmarked a lot of that for a building. So we don't want to just let it just sit there and do nothing. And so what we decided seemed wise was say, okay, let's just say $70,000. What if we ask our church family to contribute a one-time gift to offset half of that? So we have a goal of raising $35,000. Now, for a church of our size, this sounds overwhelming. All right? This is kind of the thing that you know makes me want to bite my nails and, and keep them short. Because it sounds too much for us. And yet, I've heard the phrase, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And so I actually am just saying, you know what, God? I feel that you've led us this far. We've been content where we're at. We're not being pushed out of Drosty Hall. We can continue with what we're at. You've brought this our way, so we trust you to provide. But I believe that the way God wants to do this is through us. And so some of you, you have the capacity to do a large gift. Some of you could do $1,000 or $5,000 or 10000 or even more. Would you give it sacrificially, selflessly, intentionally into this project? Some of you, you're kind of like where Leanne and I were when we were in Colorado. You're looking at it going, uh, yeah, there's, there's no way. I've been hit this last year with some medical bills and car repair and, you know, I'm looking for a job and I, I there's no way I'm going to be able to give anything into this. Well, maybe do what we did and do what the early church did. Is there something that you have that's just sitting around not doing anything? You're not using it. Could you sell it? Maybe some of you, it's, it's going to be, you know what? I have an opportunity. I can jump in and out of this little part-time job. They'd take me, I could come in, I could work, and everything I worked there, I would be able to contribute into this. It might take some creativity, but I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to punt on this. Say, you know what, I'm just going to let other people do it, because I, I can't. I want you to have the joy of being with us in this, because I want all of us doing this together. It isn't about the size, it's about the sacrifice. So will you prayerfully consider what it is you're going to give? Now, we are not asking you to bring this next week. We are actually wanting to give you some space and time because if you're married, we want you talking with your spouse and praying together. If you have kids, we want you to talk with them. How can you include them a part of this because they're part of our church. This is going to be their building just as much as ours. So we want to give you some time. If you need some time to you know, find a way to sell something or maybe work to earn some money, it's just going to take a little bit. And so what we're setting a goal date for this $35,000 is July 4th. All right, so think of it as 35 by the 4th of July, all right? That's our goal. Now, we're going to start doing some remodeling here in the next couple of weeks, all right? We actually, we thought we'd sign the lease this week. I actually signed it Friday, so we, we have the key to the building. So we could start going in and doing stuff. We'll, we'll start sharing information about when we're going to head in because we're going to try and do a lot of the work ourselves. But 
uh, if you can give now, that would really help because we're going to start incurring costs here right away. But if you need until July 4th, then take till July 4th. Even if your one-time gift is $50, I don't want you looking at that going, it wasn't a thousand. Yeah, but if that was sacrificial, if that's selfless, you're giving it intentionally and you, you can give that with joy, then please give it because I want you part of this. So that's, that's our one-time goal, $35,000. Now let's talk about the increase uh, that we need to do on uh, our weekly giving. Many of you uh, know that many Sundays uh, when, when you come here, uh, the, the room's, it's, it's full enough. Uh, there are people who study this stuff all the time and the experts say that when a room is at 80% capacity, it's full. Yes, we, we have a few more chairs open here. We could always you know, squeeze in some other chairs. We, we've done it before. But what that communicates, though, to new, new first-time guests is that we, we don't have room for you here. We, we really don't want you. And that's the exact opposite of our heart. We want to be a place where the spiritually disconnected can come and find and follow Jesus. That is our mission. And so we always want to create space for one more. And so if our environment is saying we don't have room for you, we have to change the environment. We have to change the space. Also, we've been discovering that there are people who, when they drive by, they see the outside of this building and they're thinking, uh, yeah, I'm not going to visit that church. It, the building's working against us. I'm very grateful for this place. All right? It's been great that we haven't had to set up and tear down every single week that the fairgrounds have just let us just keep our stuff up. It's been wonderful. It's allowed us to put our energy into some other things. So this has been a gift. But when we start realizing the building's working against us, we, we realize we need to make a change. But also, we knew coming in here, this was short term. When we first signed the lease with the, the fairgrounds, we only had until actually this month, uh, February of 2020. The city just extended the, the lease to them, so they have two more years. So we're not being pushed out, but we also realize we can't just be lazy and sit back and do nothing and just wait till the last moment. We should be proactive. And so that's why we've kind of just been looking, wondering, God, what do you have next? I don't think it's just among the Sunday team or the elder team. I, I think it's within a lot of our church family. There's just been a sense that the next step is our own space. But we realize to get our own space, it's going to be a, a substantial increase. God has blessed Riverwood since our inception with every single spot that we have been at. They've only charged us $500 in rent. The Civic Center, the Veterans Post, and now here at Drosty Hall. That is what has allowed us to give generously to Patrick Gray, our church planner in the Twin Cities. That's what has allowed us to participate in the Waverly VBS and to the Waverly Benevolence Fund. It's what's allowed us to bring Jake on, on board, allow me to go full-time and not have to be bivocational, to, to let Bridget be our Kids Creek director and, and, and support her in what she, all that she does for us. I love that we have not poured a ton of money into buildings and facilities and rent. That we've been pouring it into people, into ministry. But we've just known that whatever comes next, it's not going to be $500 a month. So they are going to put the lease at $2,300. That's a deal in Waverly. But when you start adding in insurance, utilities, we're looking at $3,000 or even more. So let's just say $3,000. That means we have to increase our monthly amount $2,500. Now, we have about 42 giving units, people who give regularly to Riverwood. Some of those are outside of our church family, people who've been supporting us since we, we began. They believe in our mission, but the majority are, are us, all right? If we take the needed amount, that 2500 per month, and we split that up into a weekly amount, 
it ends up being about $15 per giving unit. And so that's what the elders are asking you to do. Would you increase your giving just $15 per week? Now, with me saying that, let me talk to just kind of three different groups of people. Let me talk to those of you who are part of our church family. You'd say, this is your church, but you're not giving anything. I realize maybe you're not giving because you've been hurt in the past. You've been burned by another church. And so it just makes it really, really difficult. Maybe some of you, you're, you're not giving because you just look at your finances and like, there's, there's just no way. I, I, I can't afford to give anything. Or maybe you'd be like me and you're just not giving out of laziness. Like, it, like it's not intentional. Like you, you want to give, but you just, you know, you think about it on Sundays, but then, you know, you go home and you have lunch and, and you get ready for your week and, and it's just not on your radar to give. If you consider Riverwood your home church, would you give? And if you need a place to start, would you just start at $15 per week? Now, maybe you need to go and look at your income and start realizing, you know what? $15 per week, that's not really all that much. I, I need to start giving like 5% of my income. Some of you, you're going to say, you know what? I, I just need to go for it. I know biblically it talks about giving 10%. So I'm just going to trust God. This is a big step, but I'm going to do this. But I also realize some of you, $15 per week, it's going to be hard. And so for, for those of you who, who you are giving to Riverwood, oh, by the way, I, I, I skipped this. If you've been burned by a church in the past, I just, I do honestly want to say, I'm sorry. I, it is hard when you've been part of a church where you were giving, you believed in the mission, and then you find out that they were mismanaging the funds. I, I, I'm sorry, but I also just want to say, we're not that church. We, we are a different church. I, I'm not going to promise you we won't let you down. <laughs> we're a bunch of people. But I can tell you right now, our goal is not about trying to get money from you. Our goal is to help you find and follow Jesus. We want you to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. That's what our world needs. So this isn't about what we can get from you. It's really about what God has for you. But we also realize for you to be the follower of Jesus that God's calling you to be, you have to live a generous life. And we think this is an opportunity for you to grow in your faith and to give generously and trust God with this area of your finances. Now, for those of you that are giving, you hear 15 more per week. It, it, it sounds like too much. Okay, maybe, maybe you can do $5 more per week. Maybe you can do 10. Maybe you really need to just bite the bullet and say 15. Maybe you got to get creative. Maybe you don't buy three coffees during the week. Or heck, you know, sometimes you buy one coffee. It costs like $5 because you throw so much stuff in there. It's, you know, your double Americano cappuccino frou-frou coffee. You know, like give up just one of those a week and, and that extra $5 contribute. Maybe it's going to take getting creative. But what can you do to be part of this, to give selflessly and sacrificially and, and intentionally so that we can make an impact? Now, to those of you who are giving very generously, I want to say thank you. Out of those 42 giving units, the top 15 are by far covering the majority of, of our church family. And I want you to hear me loud and clear. Thank you. We appreciate it. When God called me on this journey of starting this church, there were days where I wondered, is anyone going to even go with us? And you're not only with us, you are fueling the mission that God has given us. It's awesome. So thank you. But I'm going to ask you, would you prayerfully consider how you can increase? 
For you, maybe it isn't just $15 more per week. Maybe you need to do 20 to help officer the person in our, our church family that can't do 15. They're only going to do five. Maybe you need to do 25 more per week. Maybe it's actually 50 more per week or 100. It's going to be different for all of us. But as you seek out God and pray, what do you sense him calling you to do? Whatever it is, make sure it's selfless. Let it be sacrificial. It's very intentional. We know exactly what we're giving to. But as we do this, I truly believe it's going to give us joy. I truly think our best days are ahead and we are going to make an impact. Because there will be people who now will start to take us a little more seriously as a church. They might be more likely to come. And by coming, it gives us a chance to get to know them, to hear their story, to, to, to enter into their lives, to love them, support them. And wherever they're at in their spiritual journey, just help them go that next step closer to Christ. And I want all of you to be a part of it. But even after all that, I will admit, it's hard. As an American, this idea of giving more into this, it, it, it can be difficult. Like there, there could be this little part of you that's still doubting. Okay, so God, if I give all this, are you, are you going to support me? And, and you kind of start to wonder, how in the world am I going to pull this off? Well, I think the way that we can do that is by doing what the early church did. And that is to look at Jesus. You realize that they were there when Jesus was resurrected. They, they knew the stories. Even if they never saw Jesus themselves, they'd heard the rumors. And so day by day, as the apostles are teaching, they kept talking about the resurrection. In fact, did you hear it there in, in chapter 4, verse 33? It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Day by day, they just kept looking at Christ. Why? Because Jesus gave. He gave selflessly. He gave sacrificially. He gave impactfully. And by doing so, it brought joy. He did not have joy in the cross, but Ephesians, I mean, uh, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And by going to the cross, he made an impact. He's made an impact in many of you, and he's wanting to make an impact on many others. And so when you find yourself doubting, I don't know that I can give like this. You put your eyes on Christ. And that is why today we want to conclude this message with communion. We want to go to the table. We want to go to the elements. Because as we take that bread and we take that cup, we realize this is his body. It is his blood. We take it into us because we realize he died on a cross selflessly, sacrificially, and intentionally for me. And it's made an impact in my life. And if he can do that for me, then I can trust him with all things, including my bank account. If you were a first-time guest with us at Riverwood, we celebrate an open table. Meaning, if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to worship Jesus with us, to thank him for his selfless, sacrificial gift. That if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're not totally sure where you're at spiritually, we're glad you were here. We started Riverwood Church for you. We are on a mission to help people just like you who feel spiritually disconnected from God, who have questions, to find Jesus and to begin to follow him. But if that's you, I'm just going to ask that you just very respectfully not go to these tables because these tables are all about Christ and what he did on the cross. And when we take those elements, we're saying his story is my story. And I'm seeking to live a Jesus-centered life. 
No one here is going to judge you if you don't go to those tables. In fact, we're going to go whenever you feel ready. We're just going to sing a song together. And whenever you feel ready, you can go to those tables. If you need to just spend some time praying, talking to God about this, please take that time. Because I just realized, for some of us, it just hit a nerve. It's uncomfortable talking about money. Because we keep hearing this mantra that money is happiness, money is happiness, money is happiness. And to hear someone say, it's a lie, can be hard. So if you need some time to just pray, take it. If you need to just stand and sing the song, do so. But if you want to go and thank Jesus for his sacrifice, would you come and do this in remembrance of him? So Heavenly Father, we approach this table with humility and with, with thankfulness. Jesus, we are grateful for what you did for us. That is while, what it says in Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, you, Jesus, died for us. And so we take these elements to say thank you and to recognize the gift that you gave. God, I pray that you would continue to guide Riverwood. You would help us to do these things. And I pray, Father, that you would bring these funds in in such a way that you get all the credit and glory, and it brings us joy. Father, we believe that you have a mission for us. We want to see it accomplished. There are people out there who desperately need you. So, Father, we believe that you are guiding us in this direction, and so we trust that you will provide. And then let us see the stories in people's lives, to see people change to your amazing gospel. God, I pray for anyone that is here that does not know you, They have not surrendered their life to you or maybe they think they have an understanding of of, of who you are. And yet today, somehow through this, they're realizing that what you did on the cross was selfless, it was sacrificial, and you intentionally did it for them. Today is their spiritual birthday. They surrender their life to you, confessing their sin, giving their life over to you to become a Jesus-centered person. God, I celebrate that moment. And Lord, I pray that you would give them many awesome days in following you and the story that you're writing right now in their life, that you continue to write it in more and more people's lives right here in Waverly and beyond. So Father, as we come to the tables, would you be glorified as we do this in remembrance of your son, Jesus. Amen.